you ever thought while walking in the woods of just not coming back? Well, that is exactly what Christopher Knight did. Christopher Knight drove to a remote location deep in the main woods, left the keys to his car on the front seat and walked into the woods. The best-selling book, The Stranger in the Woods, by Michael Finkel, tells this fascinating story of a man who became known to some as the Hermit of North Pond. After being gone for some 27 years, Christopher Knight is found and returned to society. His story of life in the woods touches us and challenges us on so many different levels. So I contacted Michael, the author, who at present is working in France, to see if he would join me on Nature Revisited to share his thoughts and memories of this truly captivating story. The story of the Hermit of North Pond. So thank you for joining me. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. So when did you first hear about Christopher Knight? I heard about Chris Knight soon after he was arrested. I have like a little hobby scanning on the internet uh, small town newspapers because I love odd and out of the way and small town news. This article about Chris Knight, I think it was broken by the Kennebec Journal in central Maine. It was one of those short-ish articles in that everything in it made my journalistic sort of senses, spidey senses tingle. It's like here was a man who apparently lived completely alone for more than a quarter century, comes out of the woods, seeming to be in perfect physical shape, claims never to have lit a fire. And I know you're, are you in New Hampshire right now? I believe you are. Uh, So you know how cold winters can be. And Maine, of course, is even another degree more intense. Here's also a guy that they said stole a lot of things to support himself, including books. And just, I'm just thinking, is this guy just crazy? Is this story even true? And of course, why would someone do this? And uh, as soon as I read the story, I was deeply curious. And, and, I, and I think also there might have been a sort of a deeper reason, which is that I do have a I think I'm a natural solitude, I was going to say lover or appreciator or someone who needs a degree of solitude in his life. And I think that might be true of all people that are writers or readers. And I am truly, I love to read and I have been a writer for a long time. And so that means basically I spend a lot of time by myself and I'm comfortable doing so. So, so besides the regular curiosity, I think there was a deeper connection. So who was this stranger in the woods and why should we care? You know, again, I, I read just the basics of a, of, a, of a newspaper article and decided that I would try and I would just like sort of scan the news for the next month to see what this gentleman would say, Christopher Knight, and befitting someone who spoke, he claimed, one word in 27 years, he said absolutely nothing. 
the reason why Chris Knight, the hermit, was taken out of the woods is that he was caught breaking into a summer camp. It was closed for the season, but he broke into the kitchen and was stealing food. So this wasn't the most severe crime you can imagine, but on the other hand, it certainly was illegal and he was, he was caught. I wrote him a letter by hand, pen, paper, envelope, stamp, all those old-fashioned things. And only later did I find out that somewhere around 500 other journalists also, <laughs> I guess it was a catnip for journalists, also tried to get in touch with Chris Knight. And as far as I know, according to his lawyer, he only responded to me. And I'm fortunate and grateful, but maybe there was just some sort of faded uh, reason that we should speak to each other. And your question, I think, was why should we care about this person? And I think if you sort of look back on, take the big picture and look at like almost all of human history, I think there's always been sort of a primal fascination with hermits, shamans, wild men, people that separate themselves from humanity, gurus, even religious leaders, monks, Buddhists. So like the, the things that are caught up and sort of in the tentacles of people that separate themselves is sort of a fascination, a fear, a repulsion. It's some sort of fascination. I fully admit that I was interested in, you know, what secrets of life did you learn? What did you, what do you have to say about the human situation and society? And hermits are sort of like the overseers and editors of humanity's sort of silly running around in circles. They're the, they're the ones that sort of tell us how foolish we sometimes are, and maybe offer us some sage advice. Christopher Knight was born, I think, in 1965. And now most hermits, when you picture a hermit, I think in your mind, I think you're picturing someone with a long beard, maybe, and uh, quite old. As with many things in this story, uh, Chris Knight sort of subverts expectations. He told me that in his youth, he never really felt comfortable around other people, you know, these are, these are not, it's not absolutely uncommon, you know, there are introverts, but I think he took it to an extreme, but he left the world, Chris Knight left the world at age 20, so very, very young, but before that he came from a quite a, quite a private family in central Maine, but everyone who I spoke to that knew him described him as being highly intelligent, something that I learned in person was true, sort of great at solving problems, like able to, not just independent and not just intelligent, but also like a problem solver. I guess you would call it street smarts more than book smarts, although he may have had both of those. I should say that this is not someone, you know, Chris Knight ended up spending 27 years completely alone in the woods. And it was like the heart of his life. I told you he left at age 20 and came back at age 47. So it was really not just his old age, which, which many hermits do, but really the heart of his life when most of us get a job, maybe marry, start a family, buy a house, really all the, you know, before, before the age of 20, you're almost a kid. And after the age of 47, you're like a middle-aged heading towards old age man. You've really, really, it's that the heart of his life is where he spent in his hermitage, which is very rare. Chris Knight drove his car deep into the woods of central Maine near Moosehead Lake and left his car parked on a dirt road and put his keys inside the center console and closed the door and without very much, very few supplies, no map, very little food, stepped into the woods and, as I mentioned before, didn't come out for more than a quarter of a century. Do you think after talking with Mr. Knight, did he consider himself a hermit? 
he brought that up. Chris Knight, uh, when, I, when I say he's a man of few words, uh, he's a man of zero words with a fully functioning brain. He, he told me that during his time in the woods, he didn't even speak to himself out loud. Your question was, did he think of himself as a hermit? And, you know, I wish sometimes with someone like Chris Knight, there's no simple answer, but he was very particular about every word he used with me. And he said he never put a label at all on himself and didn't consider himself a hermit. But then upon reflection, he said, well, I don't blame anyone for using that word. Reading the newspaper articles about himself and seeing that he was just openly referred to as the North Pond Hermit, he thought that the label fit, but not one he had ever applied to himself, if that makes sense. And again, we're talking about a sort of a, a particularly interesting and outlier person that, that Chris Knight was. He sort of didn't believe in labels. You are who you are. And, you know, <laughs> I'm chuckling because I'm sort of thinking about all my talks with Chris Knight and how particular he was about everything. And, you know, even the simplest of questions, I feel like you're asking me these questions about Chris Knight. And so I'm channeling him. And really, it was it was wonderfully how about this for it was wonderfully frustrating to speak to someone who really you know as a writer i do understand the weight words should have they should not be just thrown around willy-nilly you know you ask just the simplest of questions but if you really want the answers that chris knight would give they sort of end up going in spirals and that's why i'm just sort of chuckling to myself because it was both frustrating and fascinating at the same time to speak to someone who really gave deep thought to what you think was just a surface question the time he spent there, those 27 years, how important was nature to this guy? I mean, he went to the woods. He didn't go someplace else. So nature must have meant something to him. Yes, he took to the woods. Now, I guess you could go down a wormhole asking, you know, what is really nature? And one of the reasons why I'm doing the show and, and enjoy your site is that, you know, there is no simple definition and everyone can take their own I think Chris Knight had several things, you know, obviously, whether or not he's on some sort of spectrum where, you know, autism and things were mentioned, but no diagnosis was given. Certainly, this is a man who is highly, his emotions are highly sensitive. He finds many things to be overwhelming and too loud, too bright to this. And so he went to the spot. You know, this wasn't someone who was like, I'm going to go to nature. He's like, I'm going to the place that makes me feel the calmest. What are we all searching for in life? You know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. He was really pursuing his own happiness. And I'm pleased to report, found it, though, with complications that he had to steal to support himself. But he found the place that he felt the most relaxed. Not just the most relaxed. He found the only place he had ever felt comfortable in his entire life. And this was in this amazing campsite. He moved, Chris Knight just briefly, you know, moved around for about eight or nine months after he walked into the woods and then found this spot in an extraordinarily thick patch of forest, so thick that uh, deer very infrequently came through. It was just too thick for even deer. And it was sort of chock full of huge rocks that were deposited when the glaciers receded after the last ice age and found like a little clearing with sort of a stonehenge circle of rocks around it. And that was his camp for 25 years. And I went to that spot. And so I can confirm that it is truly beautiful. It's like a room was carved out of the forest 
where all the sounds of the forest trickle through. It's not up on the top of a hill where you're going to get frostbite because of the wind, but it's not at the bottom where there's no wind at all, so there's too many bugs. It's right in the middle. Chris Knight spent a lot of time, I've already talked about reading. He also listened to the radio with headphones, but what he mostly did for his time was what you and I might call nothing. He sat there, and he didn't have any formal sort of meditation, but he sort of absorbed the world around him. And he told me, and I fully believe them, that he was never for a moment bored. He didn't, even, he, didn't, he didn't even understand the definition of being bored. He never for a moment felt lonely. In fact, he told me in some of the most profound discussions we had that he felt the opposite of loneliness. He felt highly connected with pretty much everything else in the universe. And uh, I think Chris Knight found the spot where he felt the calmest. And, you know, in the course of my readings, I loved reading about uh, humans have been writing and fascinated by hermits, as I've mentioned, since basically, since basically writing was invented. And so I read many, many, many accounts from ancient history to basically Walden. Many people mentioned this sort of idea that in natural settings in the woods, people felt more comfortable. And there is a real specific reason for that, which is that, you know, the, the human race, Homo, our genus, Homo, is more than two million years old. But really, the agriculture and cities are less than 12,000 years old, which seems like a long time ago. But 99.9% of the time that we have been humans, we all lived in nature. All of our emotions, all of our senses, our sight, our hearing, our sound, everything is calibrated to being in nature. We all find, I'll just go out on a limb and say, we all find birds singing much more pleasant than a car alarm. You know, there's a difference between solitude, and I touched on this briefly when I said that Chris Knight himself would never felt lonely. And so I don't like to mingle things because I think there is a certain, an increase, despite all this interconnectedness, despite all these social media, there's been an increase in people saying that they feel lonely or feel isolated. But that is very different than someone who seeks it out for their pleasure. And so I think that there have never been a ton of hermits. The people that have, we are human beings are naturally social creatures. In fact, we're extraordinarily social. So really, I don't think there ever have been a tremendous number of hermits. You know, they were like little little fads now and again. I was thinking of the desert mothers and the desert fathers of old Christianity. Those were more like monks than hermits. So I don't know that there's ever been a lot, and I'm thinking that there's never been zero. It's sort of like... Um, there's just a small amount of people, you know, throw a number out there, one in a couple of thousand that are touched by this desire. And I think the string remains unbroken, meaning that there are hermits out there today. In fact, I know there are because there's even like there is everything on the web, you know, the hermits, hermits community in the web, which is like sort of this one at a time you post something, but they, they exist. So I don't know if there's ever been a lot and I don't think there's ever been zero. So I'm thinking that the tiny population the nomadic hermits remains intact. I mean, I can remember growing up in New Hampshire, there was a number of hermits in small towns around here. I remember one in particular where there were two brothers who were both hermits and they never spoke to each other. And they lived in the same cabin. 
and they never spoke to each other. And one day, one of them went down to the country store and said that somebody might want to go up and look at his brother because he thinks he might have he might have died. So, and and there's something about that rejection, I think, of people going off and enjoying that solitude that for some people, they find it disturbing and threatening. Talk a little bit about the folks in Maine and their reaction to him and what he did after he came out. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I so enjoyed and found myself quite wrapped up in this story, which is that people's reactions to Chris Knight ran in a huge gamut from this is nothing but a lazy man and a thief and should be is not deserving of any respect to other people thinking this is my sort of guru or hero this is someone I'm I, I wish I had the guts to emulate him nobody's wrong but when you started asking me that question about what was it like to sort of encounter the people of Maine and how, what did they think about him the closer I got to the source of the story as I traveled the more people explained it to me, the more things became clear, the more understanding I got, and almost the opposite was here. What I found most fascinating about this story, whether or not you thought Chris Knight was someone worthy of admiration or worthy of scorn, huge percentage of the people that lived right around the ponds where Chris Knight's camp was said that there was no way that this story was true, that Chris Knight must have been lying. At first, I thought it was sort of a joke because here I was talking to a person who really did not want publicity. And these guys are basically saying this guy made up this story to have publicity. So it just, it didn't make any sense. But the more I heard it, the more I was, I, I didn't start believing that it was true, but I started wondering, you know, why would so many people that are so close to the story say that this couldn't be true? And the reasons were manyfold. One was just the sheer physical impossibility of the of of spending a winter outside without a fire. And uh, Chris Knight, as I mentioned before, did not light a fire. He rightfully thought that smoke would give his campsite away. He did not camp out in the wilderness, hundreds of miles from anybody. He was within a three or four minute walk of a cabin and a couple, five minute walk from a, a home that was occupied all year round. So he never lit a fire. And I can confirm, I found his site and it was searching for something that would show he was a liar, like a piece of charred wood or anything. Usually when there's been a fire, it's pretty clear. I saw nothing. And so I know with utter certainty that Chris Knight's story is true, but it's it also, besides the actual physical comp- challenging, it was this mental thing that people couldn't get their heads around. This, I found that to be fascinating. This sort of, this sort of just like virulent disbelief. And even when I told people as calmly as possible that I've been working on this story for years, and I talked to the police, and I talked to the lawyers, and I was just, you know, I was looking for one shred of proof that this story is undoubtedly true. It did not change their minds. I found that to be a very fascinating conundrum in this story. Now, uh, you know, when I was mentioning before about how all these people claimed that Chris Knight was lying and just wanted the attention, and I was like, you know, I, I actually got to meet Chris Knight. Believe me, he did not want to be want the attention. He did not, and I mentioned the 500 journalists uh, that got in touch with him. He didn't really get, want to get in touch with anybody, including me. I think the reason why he got in touch with me is because he thought 
and we've already touched on how intelligent he is, he thought, you know, hey, if, if I say nothing, I think I'm going to get hounded by these outsiders, these journalists, these curiosity seekers for all my life. And I think if I just pick one person to tell what I want to tell, then maybe that'll shut everyone else up. That's exactly what Chris Knight did. We did not become friends, although I felt like we were friendly to each other at times. He told me what he wanted to tell me. When we were done, he basically said, I really don't want to see you again, Mike. I've told you what I've told you, and uh, that's it. And I said to Chris Knight, would you do me a favor and write me a letter if you'd like to get in contact with me? I promise I will not bother you again. And he said, that's fine. I'll do that. So it's been a couple of years since you published the book. Have you ever had any contact with Chris since the publication? I have not heard from Chris Knight in more than three years since we stopped talking. And I certainly sent him the book. And I'm happy to report that he's being left alone, which is how he wants it. So the short answer is no, we are no longer in contact. He truly is. Uh, he's a hermit. He's, uh, he's not a social person. He does not want to be my friend. I would be happy to receive a letter from him any day. But I gave him my word and Chris Knight gave me his story and I will never be able to thank him fully enough. And so the least I could do is uphold my end of the bargain. And if we never talk to each other again, as long as I live, uh, I'll be sad, but I will accept that as, uh, as the part of the bargain. One of the, the really powerful moments in the, in the book is when you and Chris are at his house after he's been released. Um, and he talks about the lady of the woods. How close do you think he was to visiting her? So when Chris Knight talked about the Lady of the Woods, that was his euphemism for committing suicide. As you might be able to imagine, you know, this is a person who even in the teenage years felt so uncomfortable with society that they fled. And in 27 years, he told me he really never thought about coming back. And all he had to do was walk five minutes and come back to the society. Never thought about it. Was forcibly removed. Now, it was by his own fault. He was... But he told me that he planned to die out there in the woods, that he was never, ever going to come out. This is someone, obviously, and then, you know, you take someone who's basically living in complete autonomy and freedom, you grab them out of the woods, suddenly it was quite a, you know, quite a startling encounter with the police, and then gets locked in a cage with another person. You're going to suffer. So he was locked in jail for several months, and then released, but then on probation and had to see... You know, it's funny, here's a person who never took drugs. I took a little alcohol, but, you know, I was having drug tests and being prodded and bothered and obviously unhappy. And here's a sensitive soul that I feel was very close to committing suicide. I feel that there was no question about his desire to, to end it and had a specific way that he was going to do it, which was he was going to freeze himself to death. But he put me in a very weird moral position by telling me that as a father of three and as a natural warrior, I worried that he would follow through. And I didn't know what the morally correct thing was. Do you have someone, do you tell people something that's told in confidence? Do you let a 47-year-old intelligent person make their own decisions about whether to keep themselves alive or not? Like you can go in a million directions and there's no right or wrong. It was just a moral conundrum. He did not end up killing himself. I think he's a true survivor and ended up finding 
carving out. I mean, I know for a fact that he hasn't returned to the woods. We're not in contact anymore. But, you know, like I said, I still know people that know him that sort of keep tabs. He's still in society in a small town, Maine, but and didn't follow through with his threat. But I thought it was very real. Uh, there was no question in my mind. He wept. And we, you know, we wept in front of each other. And I think he was very serious. He's a very sensitive person. And I and again, I told you, I don't even know if that was a if that would have been a bad decision for him. It was a very tough position to be in, but it wasn't about me. It was about him. And your question was, did you, you know, did you think that he was very serious? And I have no doubt in my mind that he gave it extreme consideration and decided in the end not to do it. My sense, having gotten to know Chris Knight quite intensely for a short period of time, is that he is a true survivor and is, has carved out a niche for himself. And the word he liked to use, he didn't like the word happiness. We talked earlier about how precise he could be about his words. The feeling that he said he strove for, life, liberty, and the pursuit of contentment. Contentment was his key word. And I like to think that he has found some degree of contentment. I can't confirm it because we are no longer in touch. You know, I, I have to imagine that stories like these, and for you writing that book, that this, this lingers. How has this story changed and affected you? There are many negative sides to being a writer, which has its inherent frustrations, but I think really you can throw yourself in it whole-souled. And I'm a little spoiled in my late in my career here in that I'm, I am able to choose what topics affect me profoundly. And as I mentioned, even in your very, one of your very first questions, you said, you know, why did you choose the story? And I said, not only was it interesting, but also there was something internal to it. And so on some level, speaking with Chris Knight was like speaking with someone who took part of my interest, a huge part of my, who I am is caught up in spending time in the wilderness and reading. And this was a person who did this pretty much nonstop for 27 years. So this was sort of like, you know, this would be like a pickup basketball player talking to Michael Jordan. You know, I, I got to talk to, you know, the king of things that I'm interested in. So his words to me were quite profound. And Chris Knight taught me the importance of, I'm going to say doing nothing, although doing nothing is doing a lot, of doing nothing. And I always wrap that up into, you know, oh, you have to sit cross-legged and have a mantra. But no, Chris Knight taught me that all you have to do is just do nothing, just stop and look around. And literally to this day, probably three or four times a day, I will take between 30 seconds and five minutes out of the day. And I found these tiny timeouts, you know, none of us have to go 27 years without talking. I'm talking 27 minutes or 27 seconds or three minutes out of the day to just do nothing. I believe it reduces your stress level in essential couple of percentage points. And I think that if the entire world took a couple of 30 second to two minute breaks a day, I think all of society would cool down an essential couple of degrees and we wouldn't be so combative. But that's just me. Are there any final thoughts or things that you might like to share with my listeners about nature, about you, about, about anything? Well, here's something that's not in the book and pertains to nature. And in fact, 
you know, uh, if you ever write a book, you know, you, you put the last period, you're all excited, but within a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, I forgot to say this or I forgot to say that. So if there was one thing that I would like to put in the book that I didn't, I'm going to tell your readers about this. And it, it does pertain to nature. And a lot of people do ask me. So Chris Knight broke into people's houses. Uh, they were only second homes. And he broke in in a very neat way. He never smashed a window or kicked in the door. He picked a lock or jimmied a window very, very gently and would not take your computer or your jewelry or your camera or your cash, but your hamburger meat and your Stephen King novel. This is not to excuse his behavior. It's still illegal, but he had a code and then he would close the window before he left or set the lock to lock behind him and leave the cabin. But I often asked him that other people did was, well, why didn't you take, quote unquote, the more natural way? Why didn't you hunt and fish for your food. And Chris Knight's answer, this is what I wanted to put in the book and forgot and didn't, was really interesting. He said to me, well, the way he started when I asked him that question, why didn't you hunt and fish for your food, which would be the more natural way? And again, this is really touches on your show. And we talked earlier about how the definition of nature could be extremely broad. Chris Knight said to me by way of his answer, he's like, Mike, you're from Montana. Uh, after in the spring when the bears are coming out of hibernation, don't you sometimes see them knocking over your garbage cans and eating your garbage? And I'm like, yeah, of course. We, uh, in fact, we have this whole neighborhood phone chain. When the bears come out, we all bring our garbage cans back in because they knock them over. And Chris Knight said to me, well, why do the bears do that? Why don't they go and pick berries in the woods, which would be more natural? Chris Knight said, the reason, of course, they do that is because it's more efficient. It's right there sitting under its nose. It takes a lot of work to pick enough berries to feed a big bear where if there's like, you know, a carcass of a, of a chicken in your garbage can, that's really worth a lot of berries. And so Chris Knight said to me, and your listeners can take this as they feel, that by breaking into homes, follow me now, he was behaving more naturally, more like an animal than if he had artificially cut a hole in the ice and struggled all day to catch a couple fish or ran around trying to catch a deer. He said to me, what's natural in the world, in the, in, in, in the kingdom of nature, is to use your brain, is to use your resources, is to conserve energy, most especially in a cold part of the world like Maine. He said he used his mind to pick a lock he used his ethics and his moral, which is very human, to not destroy someone's home or take things of true value and locking up behind him. But he felt that if a mouse, for, you know, mice come in your house and eat your cereal, why do they not stay outside and eat the grain? Because it's definitely warmer in your house and it's more convenient to get in your cereal box. He said to me that would be what an animal would do if they could pick a lock. They would come in and do that. And so he said to, to me that uh, his, his breaking and entering was acting more like an animal than hunting and fishing. And I'll leave that up to you to decide whether he's correct. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Finkel and that the next time you take a walk into the woods, you pause for a while and remember Christopher Knight and enjoy the solitude. And I hope you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues. And subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. 
You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com. If you would like to share your thoughts or comments, please send them to us through our website contact page, and we will share them on our Instagram page. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. Nature.